Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, continuing on his crummy headset mic as he awaits a real microphone replacement. Uh, So I apologize for poor audio quality, uh, but sounding rich and resonant, as always, on his professional recording gear is uh, Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Yes, it's the problem is the content, not the delivery. (laughs) We also welcome back our friend uh, Soren Johnson, Civilization 4 designer, and... uh, you know, he seems to like spending all his vacations with three moves ahead. Hey, it's my favorite place to be in August. <laughs> and isn't that an endorsement? Uh, we also welcome back uh, Vic Davis from Cryptic Comet. Vic, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So one of our most requested topics on Three Moves Ahead, and certainly one of the areas that I think strategy gamers love to complain the most, is artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, what it should do, what they tend to do badly, uh, and what we really want out of them, and then what are the obstacles to creating a good artificial intelligence. Uh, and so it seemed like since we've got Soren for the duration of his vacation, and uh, since Vic was willing to come on the show, it seemed like a good idea to finally address the topic of uh, artificial intelligence in strategy games. So I'll just throw this open to either one of you. Uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're thinking about the role of AI, what, what do you think is... What is a good what is an AI obligated to do in a strategy game? Uh, so usually when I talk about AI in strategy games, I talk about it in terms of a continuum. Um, and what defines the continuum is how integrated into the game plot gameplay the AI is. Um, and what that means is, uh, you know, on on one end of that continuum, you have sort of a pure game, you know, like chess chess, which is you know, not going to change, and it really has nothing to do with the AI itself, and the AI is, is simply there to you know, make intelligent decisions and play by the rules, so on and so forth. And on the other end, you have uh, games that use the AI as you know, basically a core gameplay mechanic. Um, you know, a good example of that might be a tower defense game, um, where you know, there's AI in the the, the AI that, that has been written by programmers is meant to provide, to provide gameplay. You know, the, the AI programmers are not trying to come up with the most clever algorithms for, you know, how, you know, the creep should, you know, work its way around your defenses. They're trying to find, you know, just, just that right level of, of uh, challenge to make, to make the game interesting. You know, whereas when you're writing chess AI, um, you know, outside of being bounded by the difficulty levels, you know, you want the game, you want the AI to be as good as possible. Um, and a lot of games, the trick is, I think, often deciding, you know, where a game fits on that continuum. Yeah, and I think there's also, uh, there's a th- isn't there a third component there, which is, um, which I think you sort of hit on, but where, where AI is actually on your side as well, where it's taking care of, uh, of certain things that you might not be otherwise managing on your own. And so you expect uh, sort of an assist, right? I mean, a, a, an example would simply be like, uh, you know, it's impossible in a game of Sins of a Solar Empire to be controlling every unit all the time. And at any given point when you're not controlling that unit, it has some behaviors that are its own that you're hoping are intelligent and are the kind of things you would want to do in terms of like which enemies does it attack and which abilities does it use, right? So, I mean, there's that that sort of helper AI too. And, and what I always find one of the more interesting things to see whether or not that helper AI is doing the same things that the enemy AI is doing or whether it's made different assumptions. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've done some um, some AI coding like that where you know you write up a, some sort of AI algorithm and then you decide, well, we might as well you know expose this to the player if we want to. You know, like for example, the system that determines what a worker builds in Civ 4, right? I mean, it's using the same, if when you automate your workers, it's using the same code that the AI uses. Um, and, uh, yeah, sometimes it can be sort of tricky knowing, you know, how much of that to expose, and do you really want it to work in the exact same way? You know, once you dive into the code, you'll see there's, there are definitely times when you, you have it behave a little differently if it's, if it's meant to work for the human or not. You know, oftentimes just to prevent it from uh, annoying the human or doing something they, they wouldn't want it to. You know, you might right. want them to act a little more conservative than you'd want the actual AI to, to behave. You know, I, I think another interesting little nuance just to sort of keep reframing the discussion is, you know, I, I, there's a difference between AIs which are clearly designed to be substitute humans, right, where, where you know, the game is fundamentally a multiplayer game. Uh, like chess is, you know, the the cleanest example there, right? That's a multiplayer game that's been, you know, played for centuries. And then you try to create a robot effectively to play the play of a human. And so you're actually trying to give it human personality in its play style um, to the extent you're not making it simply as brutal as you can. Um, you know, I think of things like the, the, the chess master AIs from, uh, you know, that over the years um, have had like noticeable personalities. They, they have their, you know, their foibles, their quirks, their things that they're good at, their things that they're bad at, which made that to me one of the, like the best chess AIs ever, not because it was, you know, brutally good. I'll lose to chess AI turned up to maximum difficulty every single time, even if it's running on an Atari 2600. All right, that's not the problem. But it made it more like playing a human versus Vic. I think of, you know, some of your games um, where, you know, they're clearly designed, uh, some of them have been clearly designed to be single player experiences. So the AI is not necessarily trying to be a human, it's trying to be an interesting competitor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to the best of its ability, which often was not that good, um, but it's it's an issue of the complexity and the and the amount of options in the game space, um, and often you're you, you know um, you have a, a situation where you have the human has a rule set, and then you're trying to get the computer opponent to play by the same rule set. And I think that's actually sort of a dead end branch that I, um, as far as I've, my opinion in in in, in the entertainment space here is, uh, I'm much more gravitating towards something uh, that's more. I don't want to say tower defense. It's more. Um, do you remember the AI Wars game by Arson mm-hmm. Games? Um, that that's something that fascinates me and where I see myself going because um, I, I see it like you said, um, you're you're working against constraints that are known and you're responding against something that you see uh, but the rule set that the AI has has to follow is different and it's it's not that it's a crutch for the AI but if it doesn't have to do the same computations that are really hard for hu- that they're really easy for the humans to do like resource allocation you know in, in my game Solium Infernum um, one of the real problems that I came up with ha- encountered was how to uh, manipulate the cards that had the different resource icons on it so that you were efficient in spending them. That is incredibly hard to do. At least it was for me. Uh, I am make no claims to be a, a, an AI guru or, or an outstanding programmer, but um, I, I found that a really difficult problem to 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 get my 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 mind around and get the A to do competently. 
That raises, that raises an issue that I often uh, grapple with, and I'd be interested to hear what, what Vic thinks of this. Um, I'm curious how often uh, people who are both the game designer and the AI programmer end up sort of designing for the AI, um, because there are, it's funny, there's certain things that AI, it's not that hard to write a, a, a competent AI for, and then there's other things that are just ridiculously hard. You'll, you'll never really be able to get the AI to tackle. You know, it's even something as basic as map analysis. You know, like a, a human looks at a map in a game of Civ and they sort of immediately see, well, if I put a city here and I put a city here, you know, I'll cut off this peninsula from the AI and I'll kind of be able to backfill it later and so on and so forth. It's, it's super simple to a human, but like, believe it or not, like that's almost impossible to have an AI uh, comprehend. Um, that, and that's a, yeah, and I so that's a great point. I'm sorry. Yeah, and just you know, there's, so there's a number of times when you think of like a very uh, a gameplay idea or a new game mechanic you can add, and you realize like this would be a really fun thing for the player, but the AI will will never have a chance at being able to handle that. And you know what? How do you how do you handle that trade off? You know, it kind of depends. You know, is this more of a single player or a multiplayer game? Um, but that's that's like a real um, tension. Yeah, you know, you Soren, you talked about the uh, the whole idea that the human can immediately look at some type of, you know, uh, map uh, force distribution and process it and get an idea where choke points are or where points of attack are or vectors of attack. I, I in my games, I, I fooled around with the the influence map, you know, uh, trying mm-hmm. to do multiple passes on the board and the grid and try to and put different weights to different areas and I come up with these things that were yeah I looked at the my little influence map I made and it was perfectly obvious what was going on but to get the algorithms to program to process that and and and, and get the weights so that it could use that information that's a completely different step you know it's one thing to process the information it's another thing to actually get the AI to um, be able to incorporate into the decision making process that it's going to do as you as you try to solve for these problems, uh, and I, I would imagine at, at various points all of you have wrestled with trying to solve you know some of these very problems you're describing, like getting the <clears throat> AI to sort of read a map correctly. Uh, as you begin trying to create an AI that can do that, uh, what sort of uh, you know secondary problems do you run into that prevent you from really finding a solution to this? Um. <laughs> well, the <laughs> well, the secondary problems are really. I mean, that's you. You make your. You, you, let's say you did, you wanted to go the influence map route, and you you wanted the the AI. You know, the 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 higher level. I, I try to use a goal based structure, which has a hierarchical type structure. So you have, you know, each goal is built of components, which are built of more components to accomplish an act. You know, or a decision, and. Um, what you find is you might want to try to incorporate that influence map into it and you know maybe you come up with some way to read that data and decide on a location to send an army to um, and then at that point you get secondary problems with okay you've then you've got to decide what's the composition of that army so you're talking a whole nother routine and once you send that army maybe the maps changed in the meantime and you find out that army's approaching whatever it's supposed to do, and it and you run your sim. I usually run simulations of you know if it, based on what the our AI knows, could it beat the its opponent or not? What's the percentage of its success? And let's say the army gets there and it's no longer successful. 
it no longer has a chance of being successful. And then so you decide, well, do I, what would a, you know, what would a human do? Would a human just say, you know, forget it. I'm just going to go for it anyway and roll the dice and attack and lose. And that's at the point where you start getting these issues of, you know, the players going, oh, this is, this AI is incredibly stupid. You know, it's, it always is making, you know, high risk moves or, or going to the wrong place or, or things like that. It's, it's, I think it's at the, the, the decision space is so complex um, that you're just swamped with secondary issues, even once you have a high-level idea of what you want the AI to accomplish. Yeah, one of, one of the big issues for me is that, um, you know, you can you can program in some pretty basic stuff. You know, if you see this situation, I want the AI to react this way, right? But then that leads to some very predictable predictable behavior. So the temptation there then is to like, okay, well then we need some... Um, some more, some sort of more, you know, some something that's more complicated, something that you know puts weights on all these different places on the maps and these type of units, and we're feeding all this information into the system, and there's some values going on in the background that are popping up and down depending upon these other circumstances. But at some point, there's so much, so many inputs going into the system that you kind of lose control of the the AI. And you're no longer sure why the AI is making the decisions it makes, which I can mean, put it, you. That, it almost makes it sound like it, at that point you might as well throw it through a random number generator. Right. Well, the danger then is like you know you're, the, the AI is performing fine, and then you, but then suddenly a month later you know you've kind of rejiggered the game mechanics or you've you know changed some algorithm a little bit, and then suddenly it starts performing poorly. Right. Like if if the AI performs well but you're not sure why it's performing well i always feel like you could potentially be getting yourself into trouble and that means that there's there's a sort of a real upper limit on how complicated you can make your ai from a from a programmatic point of view um you know if you, if you look at most of the ai code for civ 4 um it's really it's just a lot of like high school programming you know it's 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 very it's very basic stuff <laughs> you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen <laughs> All done on a napkin. In some sense, it's like understanding the game. You have to be able to fit it all in your head at one time, right? Um, And so if you can't, then it just becomes fuzzy and unclear, and you're not able to adapt. Yeah, and the computational techniques are all very basic, too. I mean, weighted sums, you know, fuzzy logic maybe, finite state machines, things like that that, you know... It's uh, it's not rocket science. It's I've often thought. Well, it sounds like rocket science to guys like me and Rob. <laughs> well, listen, I'm practically self-schooled on this, so it's definitely not rocket science. But uh... the real advanced techniques that you know some people like to talk about things like neural nets or genetic algorithms or so on and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of these things uh, are really interesting for these. Uh, you know, lesser defined situations like trying to understand the stock market or interpreting a photo, right? Um, but when you're talking about doing a game, like that, the, these type of algorithms, you're really not sure why it's making its decision, right? So you can't trust that it's going to be robust. Well, I mean, this gets back to that question of, are you trying to make an algorithm that makes the best decision every time or are you trying to make an algorithm that makes human decisions, right? I mean, uh, you know, Civ's a good example there where, you know, the what's going on at every turn of a Civ game, um, you know, unless you are the most 
anal retentive person in the world, you are not checking on every single available data point every single turn, right? I mean, you're just not because you'll take an hour and a half to make every single. I'm sure there are people out there who do do that, but there are uh, people most, who do most, that. <laughs> yes, I know, but but I, I I imagine most rational players do not sit there and check every single city's piece of data on every single turn, et cetera, right? You understand the vectors certain things are headed towards and you may, you know, you make a lot of assumptions uh, and, and you have your own sort of agenda that you've developed about how you're going to play that game. That's how a human does it. But when you're thinking about like, okay, now I have to have an AI who's playing this opposing civilization, do they all, do you, do you start from the premise of saying what is the optimal decision at this point in the board state or do they, or you try to program something that's being sort of quote unquote human who say commits to a particular strategy, uh, works at it for a certain time until he's faced with overwhelming evidence that it's not working and then adjusts. Or does it keeps doing it? (laughs) Or just keeps doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that has to do with the, with designing for what play style, you, you know, uh, your you think your your market is and your players, and the, the the sad part is not the sad part. The difficult part is that there's a wide range on that spectrum from people who just click next turn to people who micromanage every single turn and have you know can do probability just off the top of their head of what the outcome of the next move is. Um, and trying to satisfy both those is very difficult. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always look at, I, I definitely generally look at the AI as an extension of uh, the game design. So, you know, I definitely want to understand, um, you know, how it's how it's going to behave, how it's going to treat the players. Like a, a big place where this comes in is, is diplomacy. Um, because, you know, it, in the, to me, there's kind of like two, two types of AI problems. There's, there's games where it's a two, a two side conflict. In which case you don't have the diplomacy problem, right? And the, those 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 games are much 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 uh, easier to to deal with than any time you have more than two sides, because then, um, assuming you know one human and multiple AIs, you know how are the AIs? How is the AI supposed to behave in that situation? Um, you know, should uh, how how does it form alliances? Should it work with with a player? Should it be uh, loyal um, should it backstab because um, certainly you know people will talk about how they want the AIs to act like humans in those situations but they they will only say that until they get to the end of a game where they're in a dominant position and now now suddenly if the AIs all gang up on them well that's unfair right the AI should do that <laughs> right see I hear stuff like that and <clears throat> that actually frustrates me a little bit because one of the things I love actually um, in Civilization, and and certainly in Civilization Five, I don't remember if this happens quite as much in Civilization Four, but in Civilization Five, uh, you know, in the late game, all your all diplomatic bets were off. Uh, everybody sort of turned on everybody else because the AI was sort of playing the same game and had the same objectives. So, <clears throat> you know, like it wasn't like you know, you had any real friends in the AI factions. You'd all sort of used each other effectively throughout the first, like, 2,000 years of human history. Uh, and, and then as you enter as you enter that last, like, you know, 700, 750 turns, uh, 750 years, uh, suddenly everyone is, like, you know, starting to edge toward the end game. Uh, in the end, there can only be one. Yeah, and, and so... <laughs> yeah, it's it, Highlander. Yeah. 
Yeah, and in the future era, it just, you know, your your civilization games turn absolutely crazy as everyone just sort of starts, you know, whoever who's the leader? All right, let's pile a pile on that guy. And I always find that I always find that really pleasing and it's disappointing to not, not so much disappointing, I, but I guess I, I sympathize with with uh, you know game designers and the people actually having to create these these AIs because you got to deal with so many different like player expectations as to how these things should behave. Like right. I want my AI to play Civ. I don't want it to play diplomacy or some sort of history simulator because that's not what we're playing. We're playing Civilization, and yeah. the AI just sort of like let me win the game. That'd be boring. Yeah, there, there absolutely is no right answer to this question. You know, it's definitely, you know, sort of a big philosophical and aesthetic choice. And um, I say, I, I would definitely say that Civ 4 and Civ 5 ended up a different place on that continuum I talked about earlier, where, you know, in Civ 5, they're a little more towards the chess side, where, you know, you have these leaders in the game, but you feel like they're being controlled by this AI that's, you know, out, able to think outside of the game and is sort of trying to win, right? Where Civ 4 is a little bit more on the, you know, AIs are part of the, the gameplay side of the continuum where, um, you know, I, I wanted it to feel more like you could you could sort of role play and that the, the AIs were going to be true to their personalities and their memories and if you had a if you had some good friends, they would stay with you, with you through the course of the game, even if that meant that they were uh, shortchanging their, their chance to actually win the game. Um, and it's not, you know, one approach is definitely not better than, than another. It just uh, kind of hits a sweet spot for different types of players. I have a question for Soren, actually, because I've been wondering this for a while. How much he thinks the psychology plays into this in that you know you're playing against an artificial opponent and uh, it's not like some Turing test where you're trying to guess whether this is a human or not. You have in your mind this idea that you're playing against, you know, Silicon and... Um, you really can't uh, take that wall of you know uh, believability of unbelievability or whatever it is away and get into the game and you're always looking for mistakes it's making and you know you're always unsatisfied with the experience because of the psychology of it. Is that anything that's occurred to you or um, unsatisfied in terms of um, like? If Just that the whole the... game is rigged, that you, you're you trying to design for, for players who you know are going to be unhappy because in the end they're not playing against a human, they are playing against the uh, the artificial opponent, and there's just this this wall in the way of, of, of you know, the, the enjoyment that comes from playing multiplayer. Yeah, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, there's a lot of reasons why people might play a single-player game of Civ. Um, and, you know, if I, you know, when, it, when push comes to, to shove, you know, at the end of the, the day, I want the player to win, right? You know, I don't really want the game to, you know, pull out all the stops to, to run, you know, to, you know, pull out victory from the player right near the end. Um, so I'm mostly trying to think about what's going to give the player a good, fulfilling overall experience. And to me, that's, you know, that's sort of that pleasurable frustration, you know, and the the AI is is part of that um, because I don't I don't feel like um, there's definitely games multiplayer games I've played where you know I've lost the game, but I maybe I, I still feel like I you know I've gained something in the sense that um, you know I respect my opponent, I made some decisions that I see maybe I, I shouldn't have, and I saw that they took advantage of that, um, but. You know, in the same situation with an AI, you know, you start to, you know, well, maybe, 
you know, that somehow it was stacked against me, or then there's people who start doubting, you know, the the probabilities, you know, like, are, are the dice loaded inside the game here, or, um, you know, is the is the AI cheating, or, you know, the other side, if it yeah, looks there, like the there's AI. there's no happy loss to an AI. I mean, that's right. really what it comes down to. I mean, I played, you know, I like, I, you know, it, to me, the classic example of a great multiplayer experience is the board game experience. I had a bunch of guys here. Two nights ago, we played Lords of Waterdeep. I came in third out of four players, and I had a fantastic game. But part of the reason I had a fantastic game, aside from all the social stuff, which obviously you're never going to replace with an AI, was I watched two other players really monopolize systems that I hadn't thought about before. And 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 it was transparent, and I could see it, and I was it was a little bit like watching the Olympics, right? You're watching people do something that you, they are just better at at that moment in time than you, and that is both inspiring and also educational as a gamer, right? Because it's not like this is something so far out of reach, I will never be able to beat them in this game. Like like I'm never going to be a pole vaulter, right? It's it's a learning experience, it's a positive experience, and with an AI, when you get beat by the AI. I honestly can't really think of many times I've been beaten by an AI and thought that was an awesome game. Sure, sure. I mean, I think I think it helps if a game is more transparent. You know, if like you're playing chess or uh, I don't know, like in a recent example is you play play Lahav on like the iPad or something where you know if you really turn up the AI difficulty, you can see it makes some pretty interesting moves. But you know, you're seeing them very directly in in front of you. Whereas if it's a game that has a lot of fog of war and a lot of hidden stuff going on, um, you know, I don't think, I think, you know, losses are always going to be fairly, un, fairly unsatisfying because you're not, you know, you're not seeing directly what, what happened. Um, and even, you know, if you play a, you know, if you play an RTS against someone that, you know, someone that you know, and it's a really close game and you end up losing, you can, you can actually talk to them about it afterwards. Like, oh, man, how did you, you know, how did you build that, that unit or how do you know, why did you decide to rush me at that one exact moment you know with an ai right it's just dead silence you know there's there's nothing to nothing to go to nothing to really learn from after the after the game's over yeah and and certainly you can't sit there and grill them right you can't right. grill the ai and say so what were you thinking when you decided that you were going to take poland first i mean it just it doesn't work that way yeah x was and less that, than 5.5 <laughs> yeah and another big problem is you won't you won't sort of each uh it's kind of uh, was, I don't even write the right, the right metaphor here, but you know, if you if two people are sort of playing an RTS together, you know, one guy wins, and then you know, after a few games, the other guy starts winning, and then the next player adapts to that, and the other guy starts winning. You know, with with uh, AI, you have kind of this problem where you're kind of you're aiming at kind of this fixed point, and once you kind of figure out how to finally start beating the AI in the specific game, you're just going to be able to beat them forever, right? It's not this constant adaptation. Um, right. You know, that's that's another big problem. How much do you think about randomness when you're when you're developing an AI? I mean, uh, you know, when uh, you know, I, I I go back to you know some of my um, early Civ games, or or you know, you know, Vic. In your case, I played just an assload of Armageddon Empires, and I always wondered whether or not every once in a while you you sort of just have algorithms that say you know, pick a random number out of a hundred. And if it's a one, the AI does something completely nuts. You know, it, it, do you try to replicate that sense of, 
of you know chaos that I think you get out of playing you know not necessarily out of playing brilliant op- opponents face to face, but um, but certainly out of playing like new opponents. I mean, how many how many matches of StarCraft have I played where? Uh, you know, just random crap seems to happen. And it may work or it may not work, but it seems totally nonsensical. Oh, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, uh, a lot of randoms involved. Uh, usually it's more around, uh, you know, discrete decisions of, you know, you you have an army, it sees another army, It run, I usually run some type of battle simulation, get a percentage of, that it's going to win, and then you, you know, you roll a dice, and if it's, if it's above that, if it's below that, it attacks. If it's above it, it you know it passes. Um, in the in the higher level stuff, I usually use a competing goal system where you know you take a look at this this the game the state of the board and you figure out um, you you calculate uh, probabilities. Uh, in a, I usually use a roulette wheel type thing for different types of actions. Maybe it's reconnaissance. Maybe it's uh, attack and force. Maybe it's you know a, a, a an attack meant to uh, distract and you put all those in you spin the roulette wheel and which each one has a probability and whichever one comes out the AI picks uh, and then loads into its stack and then that that goal competes with other goals for resources now the, the problem you get with that approach is you can get you know uh, you sort of rubber banding you know fluctual flip-flopping from state to state where it picks one goal pursues it for a little while and then goes back to a different one so you got to you know, adjust for that, but you get then you get sort of a flavor, you could, because you can add, you know, you can you can affect the way the the uh, chances are that the AI will pick a probability. I mean, picking a, a a goal. So if it's more aggressive, then it tends to pick you know more attack goals. If it's more defensive, it tends to turtle and pick um, you know goals for building up its base or gathering resources or things like that. So that's how I was able to you know add tr- try to add some type of personalities to the different AIs. With with probability, yeah, it, it sounds like uh, it sounds like Vix Vix probably has some similar experiences to I have with goals, which is that it's it's a really good thing to give your AI some high level goals, but you have to you have to kind of put in some some friction to keep it from flipping around back and forth. Um, it is so easy for an AI to just to especially in a turn-based game, to create the situation where an AI literally just starts pinging back and forth from one state to the next, back to the other, back to the other, back to the other, back to the other. Um, like one of one of my favorite uh, anecdotes um, that uh, from the Civ AI was in Civ three. There was this um, exploit that the players found where if they um, if the AI would be reevaluate if the AI had an invasion force coming across the the ocean, um, it would try to target the most the least defended city. Right, and so players figured out that if they, if they piled all their units into one city and emptied another one, you know the 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 AI would kind of route itself towards that city, and then the next turn they would switch, and then the AI would route itself back to the other city. So you could literally see, you know, <laughs> they the AI going. Like, they basically kiting the AI. Exactly, exactly, and uh, um, it's just you know, and I solved that by literally just putting some friction into the system, right? Where like when it when it when it commits, to, when it sees a city, it it has to commit to that for a while. It's not going to, you know, sort of be constantly reevaluating it. But you know, every time you have some sort of goal-based system, there's always the danger that it's going to be be flipping around. Like if you, I don't know, like if you have some game that has an income rate, right, and you say that okay, if you're at plus when you're above plus twenty gold, then pursue the strategy. Okay, that's fine. But what if that strategy 
ends up you making a decision that then just drops you below plus 20 gold and then it'll flip back to another strategy right, they'll right. flip you back and up then, and, and like then, so right and then players figure that out and it just becomes an exploit yeah yeah right uh, or, yeah or, or even more dangerously it just happens hidden in the background and the ai is just kind of like spinning its wheels because you know it's not able to clear the threshold um and and then and as the developer i may never never even find out about that you know right I mean, this begs the question, and and maybe this is just not even worth doing. But uh, and, and maybe the guys who like pay attention to the stock market have figured this kind of crap out. But uh, you know, how hard is it, or how I, I should probably say, how impossible is it to to think about AIs that learn the behavior of the player and adapt, right? Because that's one of the. I mean, again, to go back to sort of the fundamental. Uh, game AI, which to me would be chess, like you know, you started with that, right? Where it's simply a matter of how many permutations can you do to get the optimal board position, um, you know, and 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 it becomes a matter of both, you know, how efficient your algorithm is and how many cycles you can get through in a certain amount of clock, um, right? That that's not learning anything. That's just a matter of an efficient AI. But I think that the the holy grail for a lot of gamers would be an AI that gets used to playing you and learns like learns your foibles, right, and adapts to those. I mean, is that just a pipe dream, or is that like within the realm of reality, but just something you can't implement because nobody's going to spend fifty million dollars developing an AI for a game? It's something I've thought about and wanted to do, but never really had the resources. I I, I often thought with you know Solium Infernum, I'd I wanted to be able to track uh, in the diplomacy sections how often people were using an insult or a demand. Yeah, it's like holding a grudge, exactly. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you do some of that. I have what I always call, you know, um, uh, it, it's basically how uh, how much aggression you have. It's you know, it's basically uh, a, a set of, uh, of of you know numbers uh, who's basically attacked you or, or screwed you over lately, and you know, on a continuum, and the, and the, and it, they adjust, and so you compare those and, and figure out who your your biggest uh, you know uh, pain is right now. But uh, th- being able to do that over a, a meta type thing with you know you single player against a, an opponent, and the AIs could keep track of the players you know tendencies uh, whether they were going to backstab or not. I mean, I thought often right. thought that would be very helpful, but implementing it was just not something I had the, the luxury to do. Um, that, I think that needs a, a big team with really good programmers <laughs> i mean and soren have you ever tackled that idea um well i've thought about it. it'd be interesting to have you know like like vic said some sort of meta ai you know that's sort of keeping track of what you do across across games i mean in a, a game like civ that you might someone might play you know 10 or 15 times you know it might be interesting to take kind of that sort of risk legacy approach where um you know there's some things that become permanent in that in the sense that like uh you know, uh, Napoleon remembers if you backstabbed him three games in a row. And, you know, even if he's set up to be a great friend of yours, like he's, you know, he's already given up on you. He thinks you're a lost cause, you know, just like some mm-hmm. someone in your, in your board game group might know that, hey, you know, this you this guy here has been betraying, betrays people every game he plays, so I'm not going to trust him this time. Um, I think that's definitely a place that has been, that's some unmined territory for AI developers. I think if you were going to do that, you'd want to try a game, well, you probably want a game of the complexity of Risk. I think it would be a mistake to try that type of system in a game of the complexity of Civ, because um, I would be afraid that my assumptions 
about where the weights should be to change the AI's decisions, we're going to be wrong. You know, and after 10 or 15 games, the danger is that the AI might be pushing itself into this position where it starts making some really bizarre decisions, right? Because I need to, I need a way to verify that, um, you know, this is, the system is going to be in the right place 20 games down the road. And that's a hard thing right. to do if each game is 10 or 15 hours. Um, but uh, I think it's definitely an interesting area for exploration. But I would I would encourage it for someone who has an interesting short game that does have diplomacy in it. And then they'll right. start gaming right. the metagame. So. Yeah, I think you'd want to actually expose the metagame even outside of the game. You know, where you know when you're when you're setting up a game of Civ and you saw the leaders, you'd actually see their attitude towards you right there. Out, out in front, you know, just right out in front, you know, like you know, Napoleon, you know, no matter what, he's going to be out to get you if you if you include him in this game, right? And at some point, you might run out of even run out of possible friends entirely, right? You may need to play <laughs> some games just to like you know try to get on some people's good sides. Um, so I don't know. <clears throat> uh, Soren, earlier you mentioned uh, sort of the problem or danger of starting to uh, design for the AI. And, you know, that got me thinking, actually, of, you know, probably, you know, I guess right now the current official war game of Three Moves Ahead, uh, Unity of Command. Um, <laughs> right. Where th- that strikes me, and, and it would be, uh, be great to get one of those guys uh, here on the show to t- talk about the AI there. But at least my, my, my feeling as I play that game is that that is a game that is really sort of tuned for the AI. You know, the AI kind of knows one or two things. And it knows them very well, and it knows how to accomplish them, and it doesn't really worry about the rest of the stuff. And and the one thing the AI knows is, you know, it has to cut your supply lines at all yeah, costs. Yeah, I was to say it just knows supply, and it teaches you because it's such a dick about it that it's always cutting your supply lines. Right, right. So, yeah, so, like, lines that you think look good, like, you think you've got a strong position, you don't see that there might be a little seam there that'll let the AI sort of, like, crack through and cut off another one of your units. But the AI sees it, because that's really the only thing the AI is looking for in most cases. And that, that strikes me as, like... You know, you know. I think you know that worked brilliantly for all of us. Uh, and I think one of the things that uh, those of us who play a lot of strategy games get really frustrated with, you know, it's you know, it's you know, in my case certainly, it's 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 rare that I'm really annoyed that a game is too simple. But what's really frustrating is when the um, AI opponent can't play the game, like it can't use. You know, it, it can't use all the mechanics. It, it it clearly does not understand how to do this the same basic tasks that I'm doing every turn. Well, and resource management tends to be the thing that most often falls apart. I mean, not that I often win very many games, but when I do, it tends to be because I made resource management decisions more cleanly than than the AI seem to. And and this, I find this in the case of sort of what I would call spreadsheet games, right? Like big paradox games that have just a billion things going on at once. Right when I finally, with one of those games, grok the core resource decisions, I find the AIs sort of start to roll over. I mean, is that just me, or Rob? Do you have that experience too? Um, boy, that, that that's a little tricky. I think I think you run into a couple things there. Um, well, that well that that's actually that's, that's a whole other can of worms, though, right? Is is designing for players who are going to play that game and play it, and then they're going to start to see how the AI works, and then they're going to start exploiting it. 
and uh, you know you can ruin a game for yourself and i think sometimes that happens <laughs> is you're like right. so if i just do you know if i do this series of actions the uh, the ai is generally going to respond in this predictable way and at that point congratulations you've just killed the game for yourself and you're, right. then you're probably going to get on the forum somewhere and say this ai sucks this game is broken <laughs> and everything and it's like well okay but you you played it never for happened like, it's never happened there up nobody ever says that <laughs> right yeah nobody ever plays a game for like 60 hours breaks the ai goes on the forum and tells the developer never, never crap happens. AI. Yeah, that never happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was I was talking earlier, uh, you know, about designing for designing for the AI, you know, I, I said, you know, it's, it's a continuum, you know, where you want to fall on that spectrum, you know, of uh, if you look at a specific feature in a vacuum, you know, should is should you include it in the game? Is it too tough for an AI? But I I definitely feel as a whole, strategy games would be better if we if we aired more on the side of designing for the AI um, because when you when you know when you don't do that I mean that's that's essentially what the chick parabola is right like you've got this game you know and you've got this this system and at some point you're going to master the system and then you're going to realize the AI will never master the system and then the game is the game is done um, and uh, you know I think that I think that it's, I think, you know, oftentimes a designer is not the AI programmer. You know, that's just inevitable with, with big projects. Um, and it, that, that disconnect causes this, this big problem, you know, where the design, you know, there's the design and there's this idea that you just kind of throw it over the fence to the AI programmer and let them deal with the, the issues. Whereas I think if you have a really integrated approach, it will lead to a much, much stronger game. Well, so I can attest to that. I'm the, the designer and the AI programmer, and I will admit right here and now, I designed the game first because I wanted certain mechanics in there and things that I thought were fun and board game-like. And then later on I decided, oh, I've got to write an AI for this, and uh, that's, that's not good all the time. It's, it's difficult. So, I mean, my, new, my approach, uh, when I get myself back into the frame of mind to approach another turn-based strategy game is it's going to be from the organic from the ground up with the AI um, uh, thought out first and you know designed and incorporated simultaneously with the theme and the mechanics and I'm 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 leaning towards having an asymmetrical uh, type approach where you know the AI is not necessarily constrained to the same choice space that the uh, the player is I think that's that's the way to go I'm repeating myself here but and you know, that's that's what my the course I'm going to chart yeah that's a really important important point that Vic Vic just raised uh, the the value of asymmetry in games um, because I think that one of the big problems that we get into is that you know if we if we keep making these these symmetrical games like it's it is just, it's really, really hard to write an AI that can handle a game like Civ, right? That's just, at the end of the day, you know, whatever version of the game it is, it's just going to be very, very hard to do that. But that, and, um, which is why, you know, which is why the game cheats on all these sort of difficulty, uh, on, uh, on the, the higher difficulty levels. That's, that's the only way we can get, you know, a fair, um, uh, a fair challenge for the player. Um, but if you're willing to, you know, accept asymmetry where the, you know, the AI is literally playing a different game because it's just, it's not, it's not meant to be, you know, a human replacement, then you, it's, it's a lot easier. And because it's a lot easier, I think you can, you can do a lot more interesting things with the game design. Hmm. 
And when you ask yourself, when you sit down to a turn-based strategy game, what are the real, what are the fun elements that you pull out of it? And, and for me, uh, the initial one is always the, the exploration of, you know, not only the board and discovering all the neat things on it, the goody huts, but also figuring out the mechanics and the way they work. And then you start to expand and you want the AI to push you at different spots and times and you have to respond and, you know, uh, adapt to whatever uh, the AI is, you think the AI is doing or, 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 or go out and try to make contact with, with the AIs or, or figure out where you are, where are you behind or ahead. I mean, it's that intellectual engagement with the, uh, the game that I, I think that's where the entertainment is, not always you know, being sitting across from what you think is a cyber opponent who you're going to, you know, whip. Right. Like, like, for example, you know, like there's been definitely, you know, days where, you know, I may have been working on something like, like say the, the worker AI in a, in a Civ game, you know, and, you know, I, you know, I, I put in, you know, I pull it, put in a full day and I'm able to eke out, you know, an extra 5% improvement on how well the, the AI is able to arrange its farms and mines and roads and and everything to you know just get a little bit of an improvement, um, and I can do that kind of over and over and over, and you know eventually there'll be diminishing returns. And then returns. people just accuse you of making it an AI that cheats. Well, yeah, perhaps, but that's <laughs> yeah, and 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 beyond that, to some extent, who cares, right? Like, what difference does it make how well the AI is at arranging its its improvements, right? Like, it does it doesn't really intersect directly with the 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 human's actions or decisions, right? It's all essentially just a black box to the player. So, you know, I, I could have well, just it, saved, and, and I could have saved myself. Get, to the extent you get really good at it, it starts feeling like you're playing chess AI, right? Like if, right. if it's, if it's actually optimized so that it's like, aha, I now have an algorithm that will always put the farm in the exact goddamn right place. Then the, then the player is going to feel like he's playing a robot, not like he's playing a human anyway, right? So you may actually make, be making the game worse. Well, and here's another really weird way to look at it, right? Like, you know, I, you know the, you only all of my design and development time is, is finite, right? So instead of spending two weeks, you know, working to get, you know, a few extra percentage points out of the, the worker placement AI, maybe I should have just cheated 10% more and spent the rest of the time working on a better game design, right? right like better like, which is a, which is a whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. W- yeah, which is a better use of my time. I mean, it's not, it's not obvious what the answer is. And it, at some point, you know, you feel like I'm just, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm wasting my time as an AI programmer to aspire to this, this standard of people want to play an AI that doesn't cheat, that plays the game just as well as a human, Right. Um, And in certain areas, you know, where you're interacting directly with the AI's decisions, like in combat, I think that's that's very important. But in other areas where it's just, you know, stuff is happening inside, deep inside the AI's territory. And, you know, like I just, you know, I I just don't know how that, you know, how important that really is. I want to talk a little bit about uh, using sort of the illusion of personality or, um, you know, or even the illusion of intelligence there is sort of a is sort of a corner cutting technique to sort of like convince the player uh, that may, that there's more going on than there necessarily is. Um, I want to say uh, the AI designer on uh, the first person shooter Fear, uh, <clears throat> one of my favorite all time favorite uh, shooters, uh, 
I think I think his name was Jeff or I think his name is Jeff Orkin. Uh, you know, when he, when he talks about the fear AI, which was sort of renowned as as having this really sort of uh, you know canny tactical savvy, um, you know, I think I think he's you know sort of gone a lecture tour about that AI, and you know what I what what I kind of learned from what he says about that AI is that. You know that was like that was ninety five percent smoke and mirrors. Really, it was it was me. It was sort of the player in a lot of ways creating the idea that there was this like brutal savage tactician uh, on the other side of these firefights. When really what he'd done was create you know a fairly you know it, it was good, but it was a fairly simple you know like uh, cover node to cover node uh, you know shooter opponent. And then what he did was just layer in a bunch of AI barks that sort of gave context, uh, you know, to the to the to the AI routine, and those remark th- those barks convinced the player like, oh my god, they're flanking, they're flushing me out with grenades, they're doing all these like smart, clever things, and it was like, you know, it was when you when you strip that away, it was kind of basic. But for those of us playing it, we all came away talking about like, you've got to play fear, you've got to, you right. know, it's, these firefights. It's, it's are the unreal. value of communication, right? I mean, that's one of the big challenges. This, I mean, sorry, you actually sort of led off with this when you were talking about diplomacy, right? That's one of the places where AI, I always feel like, falls down, but because the AI doesn't send you like obscene text messages in the middle of the game, right? I mean, in general, most AIs make pretty basic decisions when they come to direct player interactions, right? And and those kind of barks that you're talking about in fear, that's more about communication than what the AI was actually doing. It's about the AI representing its actions that it probably was taking, you know, I, I, I don't think the fear AI did much that previous first person shooter AIs hadn't done. It just communicated those actions so much more interestingly. Right. And, and, and that's why I always find it frustrating. You know, I think about some of my interactions with AIs, uh, you know, you never get, the, they fail the Turing test in the first message generally right i mean they don't they don't make much sense usually off the bat and again i think soren you probably hit the nail on the head it's because is it worth putting in a an elaborate system of nuanced communication from the ai or are you better off getting you know ship design correct or something well it's a definitely an interesting question you know if a you know a budding ai programmer came to me you know would i should i tell them you know you'd be better off taking uh, a class on neural networks, or would you be better off taking a class on human psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like it might, it might really. Psychology is probably much more valuable um, because, yeah, like uh, AI programmers will we'll talk about it all the time, like how much they get out of animations or 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 you know vocals or you know just just being able to to convey intent to the player goes goes a long way. I mean, I really feel like one of the biggest um, steps forward we ever made with Civ Diplomacy uh, AI was simply to just that basic list of here's the plus minus you know this is this is where all the the you know plus two because you share religion and minus three because you know you're on our borders and you know minus two because you attacked us a thousand years ago you know just listing out that stuff even though it really ex- exposes all the plumbing like I think made a big difference towards uh, giving people a more satisfying experience. Yeah, for sure. Certainly, that um, exp- exposing the plumbing that way also just cuts down on sort of the um, you know, the the frustration of sometimes feeling like you're groping in the dark. Uh, that you know, again, that problem of the AI might be making rational decisions, 
but if the player can't sort of put those in context of why those and, decisions are happening and learn from them i mean half the time you're learning the game from the ai right yeah yeah i mean and that's that goes into something i think someone brought up you know early on in, in uh today which is you know you you always know that you're playing uh an ai right you know whereas no matter what if you're playing a human and they do some strange decision well that's just that's the nature of, of, of people, you know, and people are, are, people are strange. They make unpredictable decisions, but you know, when an, when an AI makes an unpredictable decision, you're not really sure how to learn from that or how to, or whether you should, whether you just feel like you're now lost, you know, like, can you, you know, it's an AI. So you want to feel like you can predict its behavior. And if you can't predict its behavior at all, um, you know, it's somewhat unsatisfying. Yeah, I think the first law of, of AI programming should be something like make no obvious blunder that, you know, uh, that a human would immediately, uh, you know, would avoid. Never do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I've had, you know, like, like Storm was saying before, you get your algorithms, they start, uh, you start making a, a tweaks and adjustments to them, and all of a sudden you get behavior that's not uh, within the norm of what you thought, and you, then you do get real major blunders, you know, uh, attacking when the odds are zero and there's, there's no possible gain uh things like that and that's when the, the players really start howling is when they see these things that you know oh that's just that's absolutely stupid and another thing that struck me too was you know one way to get this the illusion of intelligence that i've found when i first started this was if you can come up with systems that have some type of emergent behavior where for me it was where these goals started interacting um i had this system with armageddon empires where i'd Part, one of the goals was reconnaissance, so I'd sent out a lone scout, and I knew, you know, from the, the setup of the board where uh, the player was going to be, and I'd just make a pattern, you know, a search pattern, and so the scout would find the base, the, the player would f say, oh, I've been scouted, and then the next thing you know, like, there's an airstrike coming in or an assassination, and that little you know, combo there that, that emerged from the goals lining up like that made people, I think, think, wow, there's, there's you know, something going on here, uh, more than just numbers being crunched. Well, I mean, that's part of what, I mean, part of the reason that I was like, you know, when we started talking about having an AI show and I was like, we got to get Vic Davis on. I played so much Armageddon Empires that that game taught me how to play the game, right? And And that's not a game... I, I think it's fair to say, I hope you would take this as a, a criticism or an insult, but uh, you know that's not a game that, te that necessarily had a great manual or a great tutorial. You kind of <laughs> no. had to figure out what that game was doing on your own. Right? And, and you know, I, I think Solium Infernum's similar, but then again, that game had multiplayer, so it was a little easier to get a friend to teach you how to play. Um, but Armageddon Empires, I learned how to play that game by getting my ass handed to me by the AI a few times. And that was a fascinating and interesting experience because, uh, to be sure, you do not learn how to play chess by sitting down, reading the rules for 10 minutes and watching, you know, some Fritz algorithm kill you in turn seven every time. You don't learn anything about the game. No, that's that's yeah. I know insult taken all. That's an idiosyncrasy of my uh, my approach to this. Um, it's probably I I caught cop to being a little lazy too, and uh, maybe too design focused and wanting just to to make the games and and not uh, get them out there as much as they should be, but uh, or 
you know, as easily easily uh, accessible as they should be. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, but, but but now it's now them. it's a now it's an adorable trademark, right? So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell my wife that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think an interesting way. I mean, we've been doing this for about an hour, which is I know Rob's probably sitting there chomping in his fingernails. But I mean, an interesting way to think about the next step here would be. Well, what what does this mean for the future of AI? I mean, it used to be AI was limited by CPU cycles. I think those days are probably long gone. You know, and and Soren, you're talking about the sort of incremental resource allocation problem in the development cycle. Uh, you know, and and you know, here I'm bringing up the idea that I'm learning how to play a Vic Davis game by getting my ass handed to me by the AI for four or five games before I start seeing how the game is played. What what does what does AI look like going forward? I mean, if if what what is is it just programmer hours that the limiting factor? Is it is it you know using the AI to be more of the tutorial process? What's what does AI look like for the next five years in strategy games? I mean, maybe we'll kick that to Soren. Um, well, to me, the limiting factor on AI is always your own understanding of the game. Um, that's what always limits your ability to create good AI. Um, and so to that extent, there's kind of like two possible solutions. One is that we need a more uh, incremental development system process. Um, and certainly we're seeing that a lot uh, on you know, web games and mobile games where you have sort of constant updates and uh, you know, the developers are reacting to the how the community is playing the game um, you know, very early on in the process. You know, if you have a if you have a siloed strategy game where you're just kind of you know off you know off by yourself, you know, making this game for two or three years, you know, it can be you know a real shock once you get real players in front of it and they you know they right. adapt and mess with the games in ways you you, you never intended. So um, you know, having a more uh, you know incremental design process uh, or you know games as service, you know that whole type of thing, you know. Um, and generally, the games that have been built that way right now are more games that don't even have AI. So it'll be interesting to see if um, games with more of an AI focus uh, start moving into that territory. Um, hmm. Where, uh, I mean, in the terms that, you know, so games as service right now normally means, you know, MMO or web game or Facebook game or, or whatever, right? It doesn't usually mean, you know, hex-based war game, right? Um and the other, the other option, um, and, I, and I think these two sort of can also work together, uh, is uh, exposing your AI to the community. You know, like I, you know, I generally believe that you know if you're talking about uh, competitive AI, you know AI that is, um, you know, supposed to be there to, you know, challenge players at, at the higher level who have you know really gotten gotten bored of the AI or they, they see that the AI doesn't understand the game as well as they do. Um, you know, I, there's really the people who are best suited to write, write the AI are the fans themselves. Um, and, you know, we saw that in, um, we saw that in Civ 4, you know, we exposed, we exposed the AIs to players and, uh, we had some incredible modders who gave us, you know, some, some much better AIs than I was ever able to write for Civ 4. Um, I know, um, uh, the, uh, similar thing has happened in the Supreme Commander community, right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I hope I hope that's the case for more and more strategy games going forward because uh, you know it's really just a it's just a technological thing. You just have to do the the legwork to allow that to happen, and I think that could really extend the lifespan of a game. 
it sort of seems like, uh, you know, I just wanted to sort of take your temperature on some of the speculative stuff that I think uh, those of us who followed games for a long time been hearing for years, right? Like, you know, I vividly remember, uh, you know, uh, like PC gaming magazines would run this feature about every couple of years, one of them would run a feature on like gaming technologies that are going to change the world and change gaming. And, a- right. and AI was always right. one of them. And specifically, always up there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they, you know, specifically, a lot of times they were talking about like you know, you've, you've touched on this term a couple times, uh, Soren, uh, neural net, uh, artificial intelligence, and we were always sort of promised that that this day would arrive when, uh, you know, the the AI would sort of have this, you know human intelligence that it would it would watch and it would observe and it would learn and it would adapt and whatever you threw at it uh you know given enough time it would slowly sort of catch on to what it should be doing um was that always just like techno utopian bullshit um <laughs> you know well, like it's, i it's, guess I, I guess i'm asking where's my flying car i'm sure yeah singularity. yeah <laughs> where well it's not it's it is true if you're talking about a fixed game design, right? Like certainly the AI for chess is are, is already way beyond you know human capability at this point, um, and uh, you know in fact it, it solved checkers a few years ago, so that's you know that game is done basically, right? Um, so the the problem with game AI is that the when you're the game is changing as you're writing the AI, right? That's a that's a pretty weird problem. Um, and so that's why I'm generally skeptical of, uh, you know, sort of high tech solutions to AI because, you know, as you know, again, like the, the greatest limitation on your AI is your own, is your own understanding of your own game. And that's going to be, that's always going to be developing for past your release. Right. So, um, I think it's, I think it's hard to sort of imagine this, this situation where we're just going to have, these incredible AI tools that make, you know, make that, you know, a trivial issue. All right. So I think that about does it for a uh, discussion tonight. <laughs> did, I just, did I just kill AI? Is that what I just <laughs> Boom. Boom. Killed it dead. <laughs> I don't think you can kill AI. It's going to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, it's killed me a couple times. And, of course, we've all seen the Terminator documentaries, uh, so we're all just living on borrowed time anyway. Uh, but, yeah, that should do it for tonight. Thanks to you for listening, and uh, thanks, as always, to our talented producer, Michael Hermes, uh, who takes our ramblings and makes them coherent. Uh, if you'd like to comment on today's show, there will be a thread on the Idle Thumbs forums at idlethumbs.net. As always, a thanks to our panelists, Julian, and a uh, special thanks to our guest panelists, uh, Soren Johnson and Vic Davis. Uh, thanks for making it to the show, especially on short notice. Uh, this has been easily, I think, one of my top five episodes. And I, you know, I, yeah. like, I'm ready to do this an AI episode every, fun, every week. Super interesting. We could go on for another two hours, but then you guys would hate us and never come back. Oh, it's no problem. I'm actually an AI. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Better than we thought, we imagined. <laughs> <laughs> Turing test, colon, passed. <laughs> All right. Say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks for having me. Good night. Good night.